Okay, guys, uh, we're going to look at uh, Lesson 9 today. We're in Chapter 3. We're going to look specifically at verses uh, 12 through 17. Last week we talked about putting off the old man. And really that, really what we're talking about there is putting off the deeds of the old man. Okay? The things that you do because of your body being trained in sin. And this week he's going to focus on the issue of the new man. Who you are now in Jesus Christ. And the things that you need to be striving for in your life. Okay? So we're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about the new man. Now, let's look together. We're going to read verse 12. The first part of it is what we're going to focus on at first. Uh, But let's read uh, verse 12 here. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. I want us to focus on that first part there as he addresses you and I. He says, as therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved. We're going to talk about the believer's standing, first of all. See, if you're going to try to live the life that Christ wants you to live, you first of all have to have an understanding of who you are now. Did you understand what I'm saying? You've got to have a foundation from which the actions flow from. Did you understand what I'm saying? Because your old self, they flowed from, from your flesh. Did you understand your sinful flesh? They flowed from who you used to be. Now that you're a new person in Jesus, you want to have new actions that are pleasing to the Lord, that are reflective of who you are, but you've got to first understand who you are as a Christian. Now, I'm just going to be flat out honest with you, okay? And I can say this because I've been a believer now. It'll be 30 years. In my 30 years, our whole focus in church has been getting people saved, saving them from hell, making sure that they're going to heaven, okay? The problem is, though, We spent little time in discipleship. What do you mean? Helping them to understand who they are right now. Helping them to understand what Jesus Christ has done for them now. Helping them to understand what salvation means to them right now. We spent a lot of time trying to get people saved, but once they prayed a prayer or made a profession of faith, we kind of said, okay, they're okay now. We don't need to worry about it anymore. Well, the problem is is that there's a whole lot more to it in your Christian life. And you know that, right? You know that. I mean, just live each day. You know there's a whole lot more than, hey, I'm going to heaven. In fact, I would say to you, going to heaven is not the primary thing about salvation. Did you hear me? The primary thing about salvation is your relationship with God and it being renewed. And Him changing you. So let's talk about what He did for us. We're going to talk about our standing, who we are. The first thing He's going to say, He identifies believers as those whom God sovereignly, that God has sovereignly chosen. He identifies believers as those whom God has sovereignly chosen. How did you get that, George? Well, look at the word there. He uses the word, the elect of God. 
Now, I know we don't like to use those words because there are some people who theologically go off on the deep end with this, okay? But you've got to understand, just because some people take it to an extreme and go off on a deep end, doesn't mean that the truth is negated. The fact of the matter is, is the fact that you got saved is a sovereign work of God. Do you understand what I'm saying? He's the one who opens your eyes to the truth. He's the one who brought the messenger by, even if it was your mama. Okay? He's the one who gave you understanding. He's the one who saves, because we all know that we can't do anything for salvation, right? It's a sovereign work of grace in your life. And so I want you to understand, so he's identifying yourself so you recognize, I think this is the very foundation for if we're going to do what God's calling us to do, you need to understand that you're saved not because of you. You didn't do anything for your salvation. Do you understand what I'm saying? You didn't do anything for your salvation. So let me just stop for a moment. If you didn't do anything for your salvation, do you have to do anything to keep it? No, no. Sometimes we think we've got to work like, like, like the devil to keep it, but the reality was, he's the one who saved you. In spite of you. Okay? Now, with this, there is a danger, because we know some folks who are like this. There is a danger. The problem is, is that when you begin to understand of God's sovereign grace in your life, and, and the whole issue of salvation in your life, you have to be careful because some folks allow this to feed their pride. And they get prideful about this. Well, I'm, I'm chosen. I'm elect. I understand. And it feeds their pride. Well, the, folks, that's the exact opposite of what this thing should do. It should create in you humility. Why me, Lord? Why would you choose me? Why would you save me? Better word to say. Why would you save me? Did you understand what I'm saying? Why would you save me? So the first thing you've got to understand is, it's a sovereign work of God. He, he, he's done it in your life. Here's the second thing. He's going to identify you as, now some of you aren't going to grasp this, but you need to. He's going to identify you as holy. He identifies believers as those who are holy or separated for God. Now, let me just stop for a moment. Would, if, if I were to say to you, would you describe yourself as holy? I don't think anybody here, if they were looking at their practical life, and especially if you look at how you were in the last week, would say, yeah, I'm holy. Nobody would say that, right? Because at the forefront of our minds is the stuff we did wrong, Right? And, and if you are here and you say, well, yeah, I'm holy, your spouse may sit next to you and say, well, do you remember that? Okay? Oh, yeah, okay. You know? The, the reality is, is that in our minds, practically, we're not holy, but positionally, what he's talking about is your position before God. He's talking about your position. Positionally, because of what Jesus Christ has done for you, and the sacrifice that he made for you, paying the penalty for your sin, 
you are now holy to God. Now, holiness is more than just a spiritual religious word. It has a meaning. It means that you are separated for him. Remember, he sovereignly chose you, elected you. Now he separated you for him, for his use. You're his servant. You're holy. Do you understand what I'm saying? So does everybody understand? You're holy here. Second thing you need to understand about who you are. Here's the third thing. And this one is something that we've got to grasp. Paul identifies believers as those who are dearly loved by God. We say, I already know that, George. Really? Do you really know that? So, how did you respond during the last crisis in your life? If you truly knew this, you would never say, Why are you letting this happen to me, Lord? What have I done? See, if you truly grasp that you're beloved by the Lord, you can't get angry with Him. Because you know that He has your best interest in heart. Do you you understand what I'm saying? That you are dearly loved by Him. In fact, that's what gives you strength to get through the crisis. Do you understand what I'm saying? Is to know that, God, you love me even in spite of my world being turned upside down right now. All right, now let's back up because we're getting ready to look at what we're supposed to be doing as the new man or the new woman here, okay? The foundation that we act upon, the foundation that we need to have in our lives is an understanding of these three areas. It's a sovereign work of God in my life that I'm saved. He has set me apart, made me holy to serve Him, and I am dearly loved by Him. That has to be the foundation from which you respond. Did you understand what I'm saying? That has to be the foundation from which you respond. In fact, here, isn't that a better foundation to to act from than to say, oh, I better do this or he'll zap me? I better act this way or God will punish me. Do you know what, do you know what I mean? See, that's our culture, isn't that, isn't that, we, that's how we instruct our children when they're small is behave or you'll get disciplined. We carry that with us. That's how it is at work. Follow the rules or you'll be smacked down. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Now, I don't think it's that rough at work, but maybe it is, okay. But the reality is, is you need to follow the rules or you'll be, there'll be some sort of negative consequence. We carry that over into our spiritual lives and think, I have to act a certain way in order to keep from a negative consequence happening. Okay? Keep from a negative consequence happening. The reality is, listen to me, the reality is is that it's better that my response and my actions come out of a positive reaction to what God has done for me. Do you understand what I'm saying? A positive reaction to what God has done for me. So, what are we going to look at here? Let's look at the last part of verse 12 again, all the way through verse 14. Look at what he says here. Put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, 
and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, you also must you also must do. Above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. So let's talk about the actions of the new man. First thing I want to focus on there is look at that first look at that first part of that second section of verse two. It says, put on. Here's what I want you to see. Because of our standing, believers are to consciously act according to who they are. You gotta make a decision. Because of the fact that you have God's sovereign work in your life, that you've been set apart for Him, and that you are beloved to Him, you've gotta make a conscious decision, an ongoing decision, to live the way that He wants you to live. Do you understand what I'm saying? You can't, cause here's how it is. I know how it is. It's what it is for me. Tomorrow's gonna come. I'm gonna get up. I'm gonna go through my routine. I'll go to the Y in the morning. And I'll come home and have my bowl of cereal, same bowl of cereal every day, okay? And uh, then I'll go to the office and drink a green tea. And, and then the day just kind of flows from that. And I never even consciously think about how am I going to act today? You know, you know what I mean? How am I going to respond to people today? You don't sit there and think about that. Do you know what I'm saying? It just comes out of you, Okay? He's saying that we need to make a conscious decision to put on these things. You gotta, you gotta start out your day saying, Lord, I'm gonna live for you. So guess why you start out with prayer? That's why you start out with prayer. That's why you start out with Bible reading. Because if you read this passage, you'd say, Lord, help me today to put on these actions. You know, help me. Lord, forgive me, because yesterday I was a jerk. Or yesterday I did this, you know. So it needs to be a conscious decision. So here's the new attitudes we need to have, okay? First thing he's going to talk about in 12 is new attitudes. Believers are to have compassion for the needs of others. That's what tender mercies mean. Put on tender mercies. It means having compassion for the needs of others. It means, you know what? Quit being so self-focused on what's going on in your life that you're missing what's happening around you. Did you understand what I'm saying? Isn't it true we've just got we've got the blinders on with what we've got to do and our problems that we totally miss what's going on around us in the lives of others around us. He's talking about putting on tender mercies, having compassion for the needs of others. Here's the other one, kindness. He's talking about being kind here. What is he talking about here? Believers are to have an attitude of benevolence that is ready to help others. That's what kindness is. If I'm going to be kind to somebody, I'm, what it means is that I'm ready to be kind to somebody. I'm ready to help them in their time of need. You know, you hear it all the time. Boy, I remember years ago, people would be really helpful towards each other. Man, today, I saw this accident. Nobody did anything to help them. Did you? No, I was looking. Yeah, you're part of the problem. The reality is, is you need to express kindness. You need to be ready to help people. You need to be benevolent in wanting to help people. 
Okay? Here's the other thing he's talking about. New, another attitude here. Humility. Believers are to have a true understanding of their position with God. So you're to put on humility. You know what? I'm going to be honest with you. There is not a reason for any single one of us, including myself, to have any sort of spiritual pride. Period. Not a single one of us should have even the hint of spiritual pride. Now, the problem is, is we do. I do. You do. But there really shouldn't be any hint of spiritual pride. Why? Reflect back on our standing. Salvation, did it have anything to do with you? It was a sovereign work of God in your life. It was sovereign grace. So that should produce in your life humility when you understand who you are compared to God. Did you understand what I'm saying? And that should be expressed in how you act towards others. I mean, we've all been in churches, haven't you, where you walked in and there's almost like this spiritual elite in this church. Have you ever been in a church with a spiritual elite? And, and, and especially when you're younger, you're wanting to grow in your maturity, and you think maybe that you'll become like them or you'll be accepted by them, but you never are accepted by them. Because you, because the issue is, is that nobody's like them in their eyes because they are wrestling with what? Spiritual pride. But the reality is, is if you understand your true standing with God, you realize that every single one of us are in the same boat. That's why there are statements like, it's, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Because the reality is, is that we're all sinners. And sin isn't measured by human standards. Sin is measured by the standard of God, and all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Period. Humility. That's, that's the attitude that we need. Believers need to have a true understanding of their position of God. That's the attitude. Here's the other one. Meekness. Now, when I say meekness, immediately, I don't want to be meek. I don't want to be seen as a weakling. I don't want to be seen as Mr. Pushover. That's not what the word meekness means in the scripture. Okay? Here's what he's talking about. Believers are to have an attitude marked by gentleness towards others. That's what it's talking about. When it talks about meekness here, it's talking about our actions towards others. And it's primarily talking about the issue of being gentle. Not imposing. Ever been with somebody who has an imposing personality? Do you know what I'm saying? Ever been with somebody who has an imposing personality? How do you feel about that? There's a word for it. We call them what? Bullies. That's not what he's talking about here. He's saying that you need to be not pushing yourself but you need to deal with people in what? Gentleness. Okay? Gentleness. This is what I have to work on. Okay? Uh, being the German, I, uh, I, I, my wife is constantly talking to me about this one. Okay? Here's long-suffering. Believers are to have an at- attitude that is not quick to seek revenge against others. Long-suffering can also be translated, are you ready for this, patience. But they use the term long-suffering because it's not patience in the face of difficulties that you're facing. It's patience in the face of difficult people or people in general here. So the reality is, is that, listen, 
what he's talking about here is, is that you and I, we need to be patient with people rather than reacting towards them. Because that's what vengeance is, isn't it? It's a reaction towards what they're doing towards us. So these are the attitudes that I need to be seeking as I carry out these actions. Now look at the actions. He's going to talk about them here in verse 13 and 14. Again, he, he talked about long-suffering. Now he's going to expand upon that attitude by talking about the actions. So here's the thing. Believers are to put up with each other in spite of what they might do to us. I would say this is the most ignored verse in church. True? Because all it takes is somebody coming in here with a bad hair day and being rough towards somebody and somebody has an attitude. See, the problem is is that ultimately we need to learn to be patient with each other. Because the fact of the matter is, let me just go ahead and tell you, okay? Some of you have been around since I've been here. I'm going to offend you, okay? If you interact with me personally, I'm just going to flat out tell you, I'm rude, Okay? I'm 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 not making excuses. I'm just telling you, George is going to do something to offend you. Hey, let me let me help you. You're going to do something to offend somebody else here, right? Somebody here is going to offend you. That's the bottom line. You can't get together week after week as a church family. With all the stuff that goes on, with us waking up on the wrong side of the bed, somebody pouring nails in our Wheaties before we eat or something, you know what I'm saying? Stuff happens. So, what do we do about the irritating people? It's not what we do about the irritating people. We do with ourselves and how we respond to the irritating people. And he's calling us here to what? Put up with each other. Well, I don't know that I could do that. Hey, somebody's putting up with you. Did you know what I'm saying? Isn't that true? You know what I'm saying? So he's talking about this is an action here that you put up with each other in spite of what they're doing. It goes right into the next step. It's the issue of forgiveness. Believers are to forgive others just as Christ forgave them. Hey, you know what? You've got to learn to forgive. I've got to learn to forgive. Bottom line. I've got to learn to forgive. Because the fact of the matter is, we're not in heaven. We're not perfect. We're going to do things. And we're going to hurt each other. You do what I mean? We're going to hurt each other. We're going to sin against each other. And we've got to learn to forgive. Now, again, you know, I don't know that I, I want to do that because that removes them from what they did. No, you've got a wrong concept of forgiveness. Forgiveness is not releasing them from the responsibility of what they've done. Forgiveness, though, is releasing you. And giving the retribution to God. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? It's giving God the responsibility to deal with that person, not you. It's releasing you from the prison. 
Do you understand what I'm saying? Releasing you from the prison. Have you ever met people that are so embittered towards other people because of what they've done? I, mean, I haven't shared this story in a long time. I remember before I went to my first church, I'd finished seminary. I was working on the tree farm waiting for my first church. And on the weekends, I would preach in little, little bitty churches all around the Armstrong County, Indiana area there, Indiana County area. So I would preach in little churches here and there. And I remember preaching in this one little church in, I won't say the name, um, but I remember preaching in this one little church, and and all of a sudden people were like, oh, I can't, oh, I can't believe they're here. Blah, blah, blah. And, I, and I said, what's going on? And they said, so-and-so's here this morning. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, they haven't been here. They haven't been here in 20 years. Really? Wow. Why? Well, her husband got offended at so-and-so because of something he did. Wow. Who's the dude that did that? Oh, he's been dead for at least 10 years. Hey, you know what? I came to this church. I met folks who weren't coming to church here. Because of something somebody did ten years before. And the person who did it is dead. And they still wouldn't come to church. Folks, that's called a lack of what? Forgiveness. Yes. Yeah, you're going to ask God to forgive them and do a work in their life. Yes, that's exactly. That's what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is turning it over to God. You deal with it, Lord. But you forgive them as well because, look, true forgiveness is understanding. Here's the, the foundation for forgiveness is an understanding. Lord, I'll give you an example. When the guy killed my dad, I remember being in a prayer meeting praying for him. And this came out of my mouth. God, I forgive that gentleman. You forgive him because his eyes are blinded by sin. Did you understand what I'm saying? When people sin, their eyes are off of God, and where are they? On their sin or whatever they're doing. Do you understand forgiveness? That's a good point, Bruce. When I forgive them, I'm also asking God to forgive them. But see, the the issue is they've got to respond to that forgiveness. Okay? Their responsibility is responding to the forgiveness. Okay? So believers are to forgive just as Christ has forgiven them. How can we do that? Because Christ forgave you. So then also now, here's the other action. The most important action for a believer is to love, which is the basis of all our unity. Now, it's not just putting up with each other. It's not just forgiving each other. But we've got to go one step farther, and that's love each other. Did you understand what I'm saying? We've got to express love for each other, a brotherly love for each other. And see, that is the basis of our unity as a church. The basis of our unity as a church is not necessarily our doctrinal positions, although that should be a foundation. It's not. It's definitely not our political Viewpoints, right? Holy cow. I mean, even if you're from the same party, you're mad at each other about something. You know what I'm saying? Isn't that true? You know? That's why we have primaries, so we can duke it out among ourselves, right? Before we duke it out with the other people. It's not who we root for as far as a sports team, right? 
Sure isn't. It's, it's not based on any of that. Whether we're union or non-union, any of that stuff means nothing. The basis of our unity has to be our love, which is a love for God and a love for each other. That has to be the basis. Those are the actions of a new man, okay? So then he goes on to verse 15 and 16. He's going to talk about peace and the word of God. Verses 15 and 16. Notice what he says here. And let the peace of God rule your rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and ad- admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Okay. Here's what I want you to see. First of all, the peace of God. Believers, the believer is to allow the peace of God to guide his heart. The believer is to allow the peace of God to guide his heart. You know, I gave you a reference there in your notes, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. How you allow the peace of God to reign in your heart, he tells us right there in Philippians, be anxious for nothing, but in all things through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. It's the issue of prayer. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You need to allow the peace of God to guide you. Okay? Can I be honest with you? So, so many of us, our lives are so hectic, so chaotic, we don't take time to allow the peace of God to guide us. So that's why Philippians 4, 4, 6, and 7 really need to be foundational verses for us. We need to take that time to pray and not be anxious, you know? Here's the other thing. This is very important since we are called to be a part of one body and to be thankful. You know what, if we're going to be at the church God wants us to be, our response needs to be guided by the peace of God. So let's stop. Let's make it practical, okay? I've already mentioned to a lot of you, right now we're in the midst of some sort of a crisis here at our church. We're asking God, God, show us what it is that you want us to see as a church. I'll be honest with you. I think this is a test for us and how we're going to respond. You know, because what we're going through has not been unusual. If you look at the history of our church, the 75 years here, we've been in this place before, okay? The question is, how are we going to respond to it? And I'm going to tell you right now, the way to respond to it is let the peace of God guide you. Let the peace of God guide us through this, okay? Let the peace of God. So, It's important, since we're called to be a part of one body and to be thankful. The Word of God, verse 16. Believers must make an effort to make God's Word a part of their lives. You're to make God's Word a part of your lives. Now, it's interesting to me, because when I say make God's Word a part of your life, here's what some of you do. Well, yeah, I I read the Daily Bread or I read the Bible, but you don't, you know... He's actually getting a little bit more specific here. Look what he says. Let the word of God dwell in you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing each other. So you know how you go throughout the week and let the word of God be a part of your life? Listen to teaching. It doesn't have to be me. Turn on the radio station. There's some good guys on FLN. Okay? Turn them on and listen to them. 
Let them admonish you. Here's the other thing. Okay, you say, well, you know, I'm not... Here's admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. How about music? That's what he's talking about here. Music helps you to enrich your life with with what's going on. A lot of the music out there is based out of the psalms. Do you understand what I'm saying? Allow the music to encourage you. All right? Allow the music to be a part of your lives. That, that brings God's word into your life. You'd be surprised how much that changes you. You know, I, I can tell you that. Look, I love classic rock music. I love it. Just being honest with you. And so one of my, I'll just, I'll be, one of my, one of my things in the radio is, because not just because of my kids, but it's because of me. It's on 95.9 and I'll click it over there every once in a while, okay? But I'll be honest with you, after living it for a while, you know, when you listen to Sammy Hager saying, I can't drive 55, I haven't driven 30. It affects you. Did you understand what I'm saying? Music affects you. So you've got to listen to music, okay, to help you. All right, let's go on. Motivation. Look at verse 17. This is where we're going to end. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Here's what I want you to see. Here's our motivation. Why do we do this? Because I don't want God to zap me. No, no, that's not a good motivation. Why do we do this? Believers are to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. I'm doing everything I'm doing because of you, Lord. Now, I'll be honest with you, that should be our motivation. But if we're honest with ourselves, it's not. We don't even think that way, but we need to. This means that our motivation for doing everything is to serve Jesus through our actions. That, if you begin to think consciously in terms of the stuff you're doing, I mean consciously about the stuff you're doing. What kind of stuff, George? Well, another place Paul would say, whatsoever you do, eat or drink, do all for the what? Glory of God. He's talking about even your eating and drinking being done to God. So we're talking about if you begin to think in terms of your actions every day, if you begin to think, man, would God be honored by what I'm doing? That might give you pause, wouldn't it? Would God be honored? Would Jesus be honored by what I'm doing? That might give you pause. I hope it would give you pause. So as we do what we do, we must give thanks to God through Jesus. That's the other thing. You've got to have an attitude of thankfulness. You've got to have an attitude of thankfulness. Even in the hard times, you can be thankful. Even in the hard times, you can be thankful. What do you mean you can be thankful? Lord, you got me this far. Thank you. Lord, you're my hope. Thank you. Do you know what I'm saying? I can be thankful. You can be thankful. All right. Next week, we're going to look at Christ-centered relationships. So he's going to put, he's going to carry what we're learning here about putting on the new man one step further to talk about our relationships. And he's going to talk about three specific relationships. He's going to talk about husband-wife relationships, parent-child relationships, slave-master relationships. Okay? Where's on? I may feel like a slave at work, but I'm not. Well, well, it's, you can you can translate the principles over to an employee-employer type thing. Okay.